right. Well, I want to start by asking this question. Who here wants to live the life of Jesus? Very underwhelming. All right. Who here wants to live the life of Jesus, right? All of us should, should raise our hands. Uh, and I, and, and I think, right, like it doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey or how short or how long or where you're currently going through. I think at our core, every single one of us, if we know Jesus, there's this yearning that says, yeah, I want to live like Jesus. Like I, I want the compassion of Jesus. I want the, the authority of Jesus. I want the way that Jesus talked and, and loved the people around him. But the thing is, guys, if we want the life of Jesus, we need to embody the values of Jesus, that if we want to walk and live and look like Jesus, then we have to embody his perspective. And so when we go into the Sermon of the Mount, which is so crazy, okay, when you think about this for a second, that we have an invitation to see how God thinks. I don't know if you've ever had that perspective when you read scripture, you hear God say something, that we are invited to literally hear and see how God thinks. And so in Jesus's introduction to this kingdom that he's bringing, he gives this list of eight blessings, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the merciful. And he's giving this list of things that in his kingdom, these are the blessed people. And in that we see, wait, this is how God actually thinks, and when you take a second and you look at our, our own culture and we're like, wait, this doesn't look the same. Like the mourning aren't the blessed. The, 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 the hurting aren't the blessed. The, the poor aren't the blessed. But God's value system is very different. And so this is what we're stepping into, that my desire at the end of this series is that our lives, as Paul says, we would be formed into Christ's image, that we would, would literally embody the way that God thinks that will allow our lives to be transformed to look like him. And so in Matthew 5, 4, it says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That Jesus is inviting us into his value system, how, how God himself defines success and greatness and happiness, right? The word blessed in Greek is makarios, which literally means happy or fortunate. And so obviously Jesus isn't saying those who are mourning or those who are in pain are blessed, but he's saying that in the midst of the grief, we can be blessed because we can gain greater intimacy with him. He's not saying, hey, if you're hurting, get over it, like you're blessed. That's not what he's saying. He's not trying to bypass the pain, but, but he's saying in the middle of it, because you live in a different kingdom, you can be blessed because in the midst of the pain, I will comfort and you can gain greater intimacy with me. I think for a lot of us, we don't know how to invite God into our pain <laughs> or our process of life, right? Depending on how you grew up or the church you grew up in or the family you grew up in, a lot of us just don't know what to do with pain. We don't know how to respond. We don't know how to properly process it. But I want you guys to see this piece because this is going to give us just a foundation of, of what we're going into. God understands. That's it. If you are mourning, if you are in pain, if you are struggling right now, God understands. That Jesus understands vulnerability. 
He understands dependency. He understands pain. He understands weakness. He literally came as a baby. God himself came as a fully dependent baby, having to be dependent on the creation he made. He understands vulnerability. That on his final breath, he hung naked on a cross, being rejected and spat on in pain. He understands your pain. He understands your rejection. He understands your agony. That has to be our building block. If we are going to receive the blessing of this, we have to understand that he sees us in the pain. And what's so unique, and I've just seen my own journey of, of, of walking with God, we, we know when we are Christian and we have pain, just because we have God, it doesn't mean the pain just disappears, right? Right, isn't, you, you don't pray a magic prayer and then boom, your emotional pain is just gone. <laughs> right, we wish. And sometimes, yeah, God can do things and God can physically heal us, but there's something about emotional pain that I've just seen in my journey. God doesn't just snap his fingers and say, hey, get over it. Hey, get over the, the loss of your, your loved one. Because what's interesting is God doesn't want to just fix you. He wants you to know that he understands you. And I say this thing a lot. How can love be true if we're left unseen? How can it really be love if he just like, boom, you're good? How can it be love if you're left unseen? And sometimes, listen to this, sometimes the healing is his presence in the process. We could just end right there. Wrap up church. Sometimes God's supernatural divine healing in the midst of our pain and suffering and mourning and loss is simply his presence in the process. I don't know if you guys knew this, but humans are actually the only creatures that shed emotional tears. Humans are the only creatures that weep from a place of pain or loss. And it's funny because scientists don't understand it, right? Scientists who believe in evolution, like it makes no sense why humans would evolve, which obviously we don't believe in in evolution, but why, it doesn't make sense. Why would humans evolve to, to have an emotional response? Because some animals, you know, if you have a dog, they whimper, they'll, they'll kind of whine. Some animals have tear ducts, and it's more for cleaning their eyes. But no creature cries out of emotional pain. And if you just look at it, you're just like, well, yeah, obvious. It's obvious, because that's just how God designed humans, to process emotion and pain, right? <laughs> Maybe it's not that obvious. But he, he literally designed us to feel and process our emotions. If you say, I'm not emotional, I want to just debunk that right now. You are literally designed to feel and process emotions. If you say, well, I, you know, I don't really, I don't really cry. That's not, a, that's not a normal thing. <laughs> that shouldn't be a normal thing. You are literally designed to process and feel emotions. And so I want to define Mourning, to mourn means to allow yourself to feel the pain and loss of something. To allow yourself to feel the pain and loss of something. And I want to read this quote that I found that I feel like is just the most beautiful, clear description of mourning in light of Jesus. It says this, it says, Grief is nonlinear. It's an aggressive friend. Pain does not like to be pushed. It needs to be validated and then healed. 
Grief is a divinely designed gift to process pain. Whoa. It cannot be rushed, it cannot be directed, and it cannot be prescribed. It must be embraced wholly as it comes, respected deeply and faithfully. It is both holy and human. We grieve because we love. We grieve because we love. that I want us to understand that you cannot have a healthy spiritual life with an unhealthy emotional life. Let's end it right there. (laughs) Again. You cannot have a healthy spiritual life with an unhealthy emotional life. You can have anointing, and you can have gifting, and you can have talent, and on the outside you can have a platform, and God can do things through you, but at the end of the day, and we see how many people have fallen in, in just Christian culture, at the end of the day, if your emotional life is not healthy, your spiritual life won't be healthy. Why? Because God doesn't bypass that. What's interesting, just in research, I found that the brain, I don't know if you guys know this, the brain actually processes emotional pain and physical pain the same way. So if you're kicked or you break your leg, but then you also experience heartbreak, your brain processes the pain the same way. It's crazy. But what's interesting is that emotional pain is oftentimes worse because it lasts longer. Right? You guys know that. Broken leg, you know, you put a cast, it'll, it'll heal. You know, someone will pray over it, it'll get healed. But emotional pain is different. Oftentimes, it lasts longer. And I want to say this, that God cannot heal what you're not honest with. God cannot heal what you're not honest with. I I put this post out, I don't know, a year ago, a couple months ago, that said that strength comes from vulnerability. And as as men, right, (laughs) we're like, no, it's not true. But when you think about it, strength comes from vulnerability because when we're vulnerable, God can heal. And who knows, when you're living life with unprocessed, unhealed pain, you're going to be really weak. (laughs) Strength comes from vulnerability. God cannot heal what you're not honest with. And so mourning makes us vulnerable, which then makes us receptive, which in turn makes us become open to God, which then leads us to healing. So why the posture of mourning is blessed is because it makes us honest. It makes us aware, but it also makes us see that God is the only one who can restore. If I could just condense my whole sermon in this one statement, to mourn is an invitation to intimacy with God and with others. To mourn is an invitation to intimacy. And so this morning, I want to take you guys through a journey of the suffering servant, Jesus himself. There's three stories I want to go through where Jesus actually mourns. And so let's start here in John 11, 33 to 36. John 11, 33 to 36. It says this, when Jesus saw her weeping, right? This is a story of him seeing his friend Lazarus. It says, Jesus saw her weeping and saw the others wailing with her. A deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. 
Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see the shortest verse in the Bible. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. So the first thing we see, Jesus mourns over loss. Jesus mourns over loss. And what is so unique about the story, as you know, we all know what happens, is that Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Like, you read a couple verses, he raises literally Lazarus from the dead. But in the midst of it, he still weeps. That'll mess up your theology. In the midst of the pain, he knows there's going to be this redemption. He knows there's going to be this resurrection. He knows there's going to be this supernatural divine intervention. But yet he still weeps. And I think part of it is because Jesus had an incredibly healthy emotional life. That's one part of it. His heart wasn't hardened, but his heart was soft. And his heart broke for his loved ones, but also the loss of his friend. Guys, mourning isn't a lack of faith. Mourning is a response of faith. Because we grieve because we love. Faith says, I need to process and heal. Faith does not say, I need to suppress. Grieving and mourning can be a response of faith because you're saying, God, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to invite you in. I'm going to invite people in. And I need you to heal and restore. And I have faith that you will do it. I have faith that you're the only one that I can invite in and that I can trust and that can actually do the work. Faith is not, hey, suppress, get over it, move on. You know, we'll see them in heaven. Who also knows that unprocessed pain is breeding grounds for the enemy? (laughs) Come on. Ouch. Unprocessed, unhealed emotion is just breeding ground. The enemy loves that. That's where strongholds get built in our life. That's where lies get built in our life that are just like, it doesn't matter how good worship is, you're just still in that same mindset. So we have to see that mourning actually is a response of faith, not the lack thereof. In John 16, 22, this is really, really cool. This is Jesus literally about to ascend, right? He's literally about to just float up into the sky, right? Crazy stuff. But he says this to his disciples. He says, so with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you'll rejoice and no one will take your joy away. What? Living in faith doesn't mean everything will be good and okay, but is having a solid confidence that God is always good and your life is reliant on his unchanging nature, not your wavering circumstances. That in grief, we're invited into new levels of trust with God. And so in this moment, this is post-resurrection. His disciples right? They, they had their mourning and the waiting, and then they found out Jesus was resurrected. Everything that he preached was true. Their lives wasn't a waste, right? That's exciting. That's amazing. But then now he's about to leave, <laughs> and he says, hey, you're going to grieve this, and that's okay. There's going to be joy, but just know you're going to grieve this. What? 
You would think he would just be like, hey, you know, Pentecost is coming. You know, you're speaking tongues. You'll be good. He's like, no, you need to grieve this. Because we grieve because we love. And so I want to prompt you guys this question to think about. Are there people, are there relationships, are there expectations or dreams that you lost and you need to allow yourself to feel and mourn? I think we have, have that up on the screen. Are there people, are there relationships, are there, there fathers, are there siblings, are there expectations that you, you, you long for a father to be or a friend to be that you lost? Is there a dream that you were hoping and going for that you lost that you need to allow yourself to feel into more? And I want you to see this, because I know this is, a, this is like not your usual fun church stuff, but it doesn't matter how big or how small. If you need to grieve it, you need to grieve it. Andrew, do we have that question up? We don't? Okay. The second thing, let's go to Luke 19, 41 to 42. So the first thing, right, if you're taking notes, is that Jesus mourns over loss. The second thing, Jesus mourns over sin. So in Luke 19, 41, this is the story. Jesus had his triumphal entry, right? People were throwing palm branches. They're yelling, Hosanna. Everyone's having a party. And he's about to enter Jerusalem, and he has this moment. He says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all of you people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. That a lot of scholars believe the same or at least some of the same people that yelled Hosanna were some of the same people that yelled crucify. Because when you see the moment of Jesus' trial, they're like, hey, does anyone want to free this guy? Everyone just yells crucify him. Let's free Barabbas, right, who's the criminal. So obviously those people weren't there <laughs> that were yelling Hosanna. And so he enters the city that he knows is eventually going to reject him and is eventually going to crucify him. And is the people that he himself suffered and came to save, and he has this moment where he weeps over the sin of the people. That Jesus was moved by the sin and brokenness of the city and the people around him. Can we talk about sin for a second? I think it's really important that we talk about sin. Right, we're hitting all the, all the deep topics today, so you know, might as well. Sin is simply the response to trying to self-soothe our pain. No amens? Or ouches? We can do ouches in church. Sin is simply the response to trying to self-soothe our pain. And this is the unique thing, is that we know when Jesus knew, pain is inevitable. When we live under the fallen world, in the fallen world, under the curse, pain is inevitable. It doesn't matter how amazing you are and how, how great you are. Pain is going to be inevitable, which means mourning is going to be inevitable. And in the pain, we're invited to mourn and allow God to comfort us. Listen to this. What happens is when we sin, we try to do God's job for him. We'll get that later. Because sin is simply the response of self-soothing our pain. I have this pain, and so I just need to give in to whatever can just help this pain just reside. Whether it's addiction or 
pills or whatever it may be. And what happens when we do that, we do God's job for him because he's the one that's supposed to comfort us, not ourselves. And so mourning, why it's blessed is because we say, God, you do the comforting, (laughs) not me. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so we obviously see a distinction from worldly grief and godly grief, whereas godly grief produces transformation. Worldly grief just says, you know, woe is me, this is it, life's hard, but you never get to the destination. Whereas Godly grief produces life because it leads us into repentance. And what did we say? What did Jesus say? Repent, for the kingdom is near. If we want to access his kingdom, it's going to require us changing the way that we think. So we may have to mourn where we have fallen short. Right? There's, there's obviously things that God has healed you from, and God isn't saying, hey, you have to mourn that out of shame, but he's saying, hey, you need to feel that. If, if you're still in that same sin cycle, if you are still, your heart is still breaking for that same thing, he's saying, hey, this is an invitation for you to mourn that thing. And the beautiful thing is that when we mourn, we've fallen short, it leads us to a place of repentance. That we cannot love what God loves if we do not mourn what he mourns. In Romans 5, 12, it says this, when Adam's sin, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. All death is connected to sin. (laughs) You see that? When Adam's sin, when sin entered God's creation, it brought death. And so when we mourn death, we're mourning sin because it came from the same place. We're tapping into this reality that says this is not how it's supposed to be. I remember in, in just my process of mourning Marco's death, you know, again, for me, it was my first time really experiencing this, this level of grief, and, and I was just processing, and, and I was talking to his brother, and I was like, you know, it's so unique in, in mourning is you're not just mourning his, his loss, but you're mourning it so many different facets, right? If you've experienced loss, you understand this. You're, you're mourning what could have been. You're, you're mourning what should have been. And I remember so much in, in the process, like, like so, so much of, of, of my week was like, God, I hate this. Like, that w- that's just what would come out. Like, I wasn't mad at God, but I was like, God, I just hate this situation. Like, this situation, I hate everything about it. Like, this should not be how it should be. And now even looking back, I see, wait, that aspect, I was mourning sin. (laughs) Because I was mourning the fact that this is not how God created life to be. This is why we need Jesus. That we mourn a world where the kingdom is not yet fully realized. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the second question I want you to ask yourself, is there sin in you or even sin against you that you need to allow yourself to feel and mourn? 
Is there sin in you or even sin against you that you need to allow yourself to feel and mourn? So the third story and last story we see is in Matthew 26, 37 to 38. And so we see that Jesus mourns over loss. Jesus mourns over sin. And in this story, he mourns over suffering. But I want to take a different approach is that Jesus shows us that he mourns with others. So this is the story of him in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you know the story, this is the place where he's about to be betrayed by Judas, where he's going to be literally traded for a few pieces of silver, and and he's going to get pretty much imprisoned and eventually on trial and eventually crucified. And he has this moment where he realizes the weight of what God has called him to do, which is to literally die and suffer for all of humanity's sin. And what's so unique in this story, let's just read it. It says this, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguish and distress. This is Jesus. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching. If you guys know the story, his followers fall asleep, (laughs) you know, kind of fail the test. What's so unique that even in the midst of this, this deep anguish and grief, Jesus invites his friends to mourn and be with him. If Jesus has to do that, we have to do that. That mourning is something we are meant to invite others into because it is not a burden we can bear alone. Scripture says, as one part rejoices, all parts rejoice. As one part suffers, all parts suffer. Jesus also says to carry each other's burdens. When we mourn, we give people access to our hearts. And remember, mourning is an invitation to intimacy. So I want to ask you guys this third and last question. Are there people or community that you need to invite into your pain and mourning? I share this story a lot, but um, there's this older couple that did our marriage counseling, and they're like in their 80s and gone through, you know, every, every other revivals and super spirit-filled, amazing couple. And he does literally deliverance ministry, like he casts out demons out of people. That's what he does. And, um, you know, we're talking, and they love inner healing, and they, they do all this, this crazy stuff. And he said this thing to my wife that is just like, shifted my paradigm. He said, at the end of the day, you know, we've seen casting out demons and we've seen inner healing. At the end of the day, the, the one thing that is actually going to bring healing is relationship. And that struck me because I've seen so many people get delivered, get things casted out, get inner healing. But at the end of the day, relationship is the only thing that can actually bring This is why we say at Breakthrough that family is the way that God's going to bring true revival. Family is the way that we're going to sustain true revival. So again, are there people or community that you need to invite into your pain and mourning? And so I want to break down what happens if we don't mourn. (laughs) What happens if we don't mourn? You guys okay? You guys good? All right. What happens if we don't mourn? The first thing is we suppress. We suppress. What happens is we, we suppress our pain and our emotions. And what happens is we become angry. We become bitter. We're easily triggered. Things happen and set us off. And we just go wild because there's all of this pain that have been suppressed. The second thing that happens is we isolate. 
We isolate ourselves from people, the very people that are meant to help us heal. We push God out. We self-soothe our pain, right? We give in to sin and, and temptation, that we start to just drown in, in the sorrow of our life. And then the third and last thing is eventually we just give up. We stop fighting, we become numb to our pain, and we stop trying to heal. This is a big deal, guys. We don't want this. God doesn't want this. But what happens if we do mourn is we access presence. That we experience God's nearness, his comfort, and his friendship in the midst of our pain. We access healing. When we're honest and aware of our pain, God can heal and restore. And the third thing is we access intimacy. From that place, we create further intimacy with God and those we invite in. I don't know about you, but the relationships that you have that have gone through pain with you are usually the deepest relationships in your life that you have history with. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I heard someone say, the reason that people don't mourn is because we don't actually believe God will comfort. And I want to frame what comfort from God looks like. And obviously, you know, it's God. You can't condense it into one thing. But I want to frame this in a way that we can just digest. But in Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 3, Beautiful passage. It says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulties, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. So it doesn't say here that God will get rid of the deep waters. It doesn't say he'll get rid of rivers of difficulties. It doesn't say that he'll get rid of fires of oppression. But what he does say is through it, he will be with us. Hear this, God being with us is our deliverance. God being with us is the comfort. <laughs> the fact that we are not alone through suffering is the comfort. Right? He's Emmanuel, God with us. And I, and I share this thing to, to new believers all the time, is that when you receive Jesus, you are not promised an easy life at all. Like, not one bit. <laughs> Jesus even says they're promised persecution. Congratulations, you're safe, right? Well, I tell people what you are promised is that God will always be with you. And God being with you through suffering is better than not having suffering and not having God. This is the comfort of the Lord, is the fact that he is with us in the midst of it, right? His presence through the process. That we know Psalm 23 or he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You guys love that verse? Such a beautiful verse. But when you actually think about it, it's kind of weird, right? It's like in the presence of enemies and attackers and opposition, God's like, hey, here's a table. 
And I think it's so profound, the fact that in the middle of the pain, the suffering, in the middle of the accusation and the rejection, God's saying, hey, in the midst of this, you can sit and feast with me. And if we can take a hold of that reality in the presence of your enemies. He doesn't say the enemies will be gone. He doesn't say I'll snap my fingers and enemies are going to be gone. Sometimes they will, praise God. But he's saying in the midst of it, either way, you can sit and we can be together. And I have a feast for you to receive from. Learning to receive from God in the midst of pain is staple of spiritual maturity. That God's presence in the process is our comfort. Is our comfort. So I'm going to close. And it all brings us to this place called redemptive mourning. Say redemptive mourning. That redemptive mourning is the response to the future hope we have. And it's the awareness of God's nearness in the midst of our pain and suffering. That as Christians, right, we don't have worldly grief. We have godly grief. And godly grief is redemptive mourning. Paul uses this picture of childbirthing throughout his, his uh, epistles, right? He's like, I, I, I feel the, the, the pain of childbirthing until Christ will be fully formed in you, right? He says that in Ephesians. And this idea of redemptive mourning, if, if you've personally given birth or if you've been in a birthing room, it's, it's, it's intense, but it's also like kind of holy, right? Yeah. And it's this thing, redemptive mourning is this thing where it's like the weeping that comes from childbirth. Where you're weeping and you're in pain and there's the agony, but you know on the other side you're going to have a child. I remember my wife, we had a very, very hard pregnancy and so much in it, she would just say, I know at the end of this, I'm going to get my child. That we mourn, a mourning, redemptive mourning is mourning that produces life, hope, and salvation. First Thessalonians says that we don't mourn as the world mourns who has no hope. That we actually can mourn with hope. That in Revelation 21, we see that grief is ultimately going to be temporary. That it's not going to last forever that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. That we also have hope now that in our pain, God came for the hurting and he gives beauty for ashes and joy for mourning and praise instead of heaviness. That this is the God who is with us in the middle of everything. This is the God that comforts. We're going to have the worship team come up. And we're just going to make space to respond. I know this is a heavy message. But last week we talked about the poor in spirit. And to be poor in spirit is to become aware of your need for God. Whereas to mourn is to respond out of that need. Saying, God, I'm going to be honest. God, I'm going to allow you into the trauma and the pain and the rejection and the suffering, the letdown. And I just need to feel it so that you can ultimately heal what's going on. And so we're just going to close, and um, the worship team's just going to create some space, and I want you guys to, to just get raw with the Lord. You know, at the end of the day, what's the point if we don't actually practice what we preach, right? If there's something in your life that God says, hey, you just need to mourn this right now. This is the time to do it. If there's 
something that God says, hey, you need to, to, to grieve that right now. We're going to make space to do that. So I'm just going to pray, and uh, let's just respond this morning. Is that okay?